None of these centenarians who uh, could stand on their head at 102 or uh, take down a 26-year-old in karate or, or um, uh, uh, still was water skiing ever tried to live to be 100. Longevity happened to them. It's Aspen Ideas to Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Dan Butner is a National Geographic fellow who, along with other scientists, discovered blue zones, or places in the world where people live the longest. In today's episode, he explains the common denominators these healthy communities share and how to apply them in our own lives. Aspen Ideas to Go is a weekly podcast that features compelling talks from the Aspen Ideas Festival and other events presented by the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. On the Mediterranean island of Sardinia, Italy, men live longer than any of their male counterparts in the world. Their diet is plant-based, they put family first, and they walk for exercise. The longest-lived women in the world call Okinawa, Japan home. They live purpose-driven lives that include gardening, walking, and eating foods made with soy. Dan Butner discovered these communities in three others, including one in the United States, where people live the longest. His research was prompted by the widely accepted notion that only 20% of how long you live is dictated by your genes, and the rest depends on lifestyle and environment. Is there a magic herb that explains longevity? What are the secrets of the blue zones? Butner talks about his research with Ezekiel Emanuel, author and chair of the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. Here's Emanuel. I want to start with the uh, basics. Uh, you titled the book Blue Zones. Uh, what the hell is a blue zone? <laughs> And why are they blue? Is, uh, yeah. I keep getting this question. I, t I, I tell my brothers, I'm talking about blue zones. What's blue? It's not their hair. <laughs> so this is a, was a project of National Geographic. began about 12 years ago. And uh, it began with the widely accept, accept, acknowledged um, uh, assumption that only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by your genes. The other 80% is lifestyle and environment. So knowing that, uh, the idea was if we could just find the parts of the world where we know people are living the longest, that we could perhaps reverse engineer longevity. And I was working with a, a team of demographers in Sardinia, Highlands of Sardinia, the first blue zone, and um, they were using consensus, uh, 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 census data to zero in on an area, 14 villages, about 42,000 people, uh, Highlands of Sardinia. And on a map, as they were getting closer, they were drawing concentric circles in blue ink. Uh -huh. So they just started calling the area inside the blue circle the blue zone. And that, that term stuck, and we have since now applied it to five other areas. Can you remind people where Sardinia is? Oh, yeah, sorry about that. So these are the five blue zones here. Uh, Sardinia is about 125 miles off the coast of Italy uh, in the Mediterranean. Um, it's an island of 1.4 million people, and there's where the longest lived men on the planet reside. Uh, it's largely a Bronze Age culture that was pushed up in the highlands at about the time of Christ. And there are about 10 times as many male centenarians among that population as you'd expect to see in an equivalent American population. Uh, the longest lived women on the planet live in Okinawa, right. about 800 miles south of Tokyo. And uh, among uh, women over 60, 
uh, you see about 30 times more female centenarians. The whole longevity situation has uh, flip-flops since the Americans have uh, put their military base there just <laughs> after World War II, uh, but that's another story. Uh, and then we found blue zones off the coast of Turkey on the island of Ikaria, and interestingly there, uh, they not only live about eight years longer than Americans do, but they have about one-fifth the rate of dementia. If you manage to make it to age 85 in this country, there's about a 50% chance you're suffering from dementia. In Ikaria, it's about a 10%. So they not only live a long wow. time, they stay sharp to the very end. Um, and then in uh, Latin America and Costa Rica, uh, working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, we found an area called the Nicoya Peninsula. It's about 100 miles long, just south of Nicaragua. And uh, interestingly there, um, people have, uh, middle-aged people have about uh, uh, half the rate of middle-aged mortality. In other words, they're about two and a half times more likely to reach a healthy age 90 than Americans are, which is extraordinary because this was a third world country not too long ago. It's where the Contras hung out during the Reagan administration. I know most of you aren't <laughs> old enough to remember the Reagan administration, but he was the president a few times. But, um, but what's most extraordinary, they spend about 1 15th the amount we do on health care. Yet they, they yield much better health, both cardiovascular health, rates of diabetes, rates of cancer. Uh, and it sort of refutes this notion that you have to be rich to be healthy, um, something I believe dearly in. And then in the United States, uh, well, we named the Blue Zone uh, uh, in an area southeast of Los Angeles, uh, Loma Linda, California, the highest concentration of Seventh-day Adventists in the world. Uh, Adventists are um, Methodists, um, uh, fundamentalist Methodists, who distinguish themselves from other Christians in that number one, they evangelize with health. Uh, and number two, they celebrate their Sabbath, not on Sunday, but on Saturday. And from sunrise, sunset, uh, sunset on Friday night till sunset on Saturday night, they close down everything. And no matter what their social schedule is telling them to do, no matter what work is telling them to do, uh, for 24 hours they focus on their family. At night, they have the religious services in the morning and then the afternoon they have plant-based potlucks and they take nature hikes and they do this every week not just for a couple months when they're excited about it but for years decades or even a lifetime and interestingly also they um, they take their diet directly from the bible uh, genesis chapter 1 verse 26 i'm not a big bible reader but i read it for this story um, uh, god points out that uh, he or she has provided all trees that bear fruit and all plants that bear seeds. So you look at the Adventist diet, and indeed, uh, it's plant-based. Uh, the longest-lived American from the Americans from the Adventist Health Study are um, uh, either pescatarians, which are vegans who eat up to one serving of fish a day, or uh, vegans. Uh, and Adventists pretty much follow that pattern. And indeed, they're living about 10 years longer than their North American counterparts. So Dan, I want to ask you a question. When I was growing up, I remember every so often uh, we would hear out of the Soviet Union, then the Soviet Union, now Russia, you know, the caucuses, they've got this lady, she's 120 odd years, the caucuses aren't here. Yeah, well, it turns out they were basically lying about their ages. It turns out that, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, a, a little forgetfulness, a little Alzheimer's. There's a little bit of that. <laughs> 
Um, well, this happens in a few places, like Vilcabamba Valley of Ecuador, the same thing, and the Hunza Valley. But interesting, in the Caucasus, so um, in the time of Stalin, um, he used to send his functionaries down to recruit for the army, and uh, the, these clever villagers figured out they could just pay off the guy in City Hall to change their birth certificate. Maybe it might have been 25, but put them, change their birth date so they appeared to be 45, and then the draft would pass them over. <laughs> and these people were so afraid that when researchers came back, actually from National Geographic, 1974, Alexander Leaf, they were too scared to admit they, they were actually Lying. 30 years <laughs> younger than they really were. But that didn't stop the researchers for writing up. And if I remember correctly, the oldest lived woman was in France. Is that correct? Yeah, Marie Calmet. She established the lifespan of the human species uh, 120 years and four months. 122 years and four months. And but there's no, but there's no uh, blue zone in France. No blue zone in France. Okay. Are these the only five blue zones in the world? I think they're all the only five. And to it, it took enormous work, and again, it was the, a huge grant from National Geographic. In order to find these places, uh, you have to uh, have access to census data for the entire Earth. And you, you find places that you think are long-lived, and you take a swath of births, say, between 1905 and 1915, and you have to follow all those births, either till death or immigration. And then you essentially do the math do the math and uh, it was a painstaking job but you really can't base a study on longevity uh, on anything but something that is statistically underpinned and these these all are uh, with with great rigor you're listening to aspen ideas to go today a conversation about the blue zones from the aspen ideas festival author and explorer dan butner set out to discover what tied together the longest lived communities in the world He's explaining what he found to Ezekiel Emanuel. Emanuel wrote the book, Reinventing American Healthcare. Now, back to the conversation. Well, I'm gonna make a uh, dramatic assumption here that none of us were born or live in one of those five areas. Could be wrong. Uh, so what do these five areas do that's special? You've mentioned some of them, the veg vegan diet, maybe the Sabbath of the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, Yes. Um, are there commonalities? Are there differences because they're richer in Loma Linda than they are in Sardinia? Um, what's the, what have you figured out about the secrets of the Blue Zones? So in all honesty, I struck off and I, I hope I find some magic um, uh, herb or some compound that explain longevity. Uh, but the reality is that no matter where you go and people are living a long time, the, the uniform observation is none of them ever tried. None of these centenarians who uh, could stand on their head at 102 or uh, take down a 26-year-old in karate or, or um, uh, uh, still was water skiing ever tried to live to be 100. Uh, uh, they never got on a longevity diet at, when they were 50 and said, go darn it, I'm going to get healthy. They never bought a treadmill or joined a gym or called an 800 number. <laughs> Um, longevity happened to them. In other words, I mean, in America, we tend to look at health as something that we pursue. We're going to work really hard, buck up, have discipline, live longer. But in these blue zones, they have no idea how they live so long because longevity ensued. Uh, they lived in environments that made the healthy living the default. 
And we found nine common denominators. No, no matter where you go around the world and people are living a long time, um, they're not looking at physical activity. <coughs> excuse me, longevity expert dies. <laughs> uh, I'll pound your chest. They, they, you. Just <laughs> be assured. We'll wait for that. <laughs> So they don't really think of exercise. And by the way, you're the way... not 75 yet, so yeah, right. it just couldn't happen. <laughs> okay. um, so by the way, exercise, I hate to say it, and this is a bit of a heresy, exercise has been an unmitigated public health failure in this country. Uh, we've been pounding it and spending billions of dollars for the last 70 years trying to get people to exercise, but yet uh, obesity can, continues to rise, and the average American exercises burns fewer than 100 calories a day engaged in exercise. In blue zones, they live in places where every time they go to work or they go to a friend's house or they go out to eat, it occasions a walk. Uh, their houses are deconvenienced. They haven't engineered all the physical activity out of it. There's not a button to push for yard work and another button to push for housework and another button to push for, for uh, kitchen work. They're kneading that bread by hand or grinding the corn. So they're nudged into physical activity every 20 minutes or so which not only burns a lot more calories than your half hour in the gym, uh, but also keeps their metabolisms higher. Uh, they tend to have gardens, so they're nudged out every day for that gentle, uh, low-intensity physical activity. And if they do do willful uh, physical activity, it's almost always walking, something you can do to your 90 or 100. In fact, the Surgeon General was just saying yesterday that if you can manage to walk just 20 minutes a day, your chances of diabetes go down by 30% and cardiovascular disease go down by 40%. And these people live in places where that just comes with the day. I think the official recommendation by the U.S. government is 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise. That's the Yeah, so 20 minutes times seven yeah. days. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty close. Um, 30 minutes, five, whatever. Yes. That, we know the doctor. <laughs> so um, second um, uh, a common denominator is they, um, they take time to... to uh, uh, downshift. Uh, they have, they suffer from the same stresses that we do. Um, and by the way, every major uh, age-related disease has its root in chronic inflammation. Uh, the worry, the hurry of our lives, uh, it's part of the human conditions. In blue zones, they suffer from that, those, the, the same kind of human condition that we do. But they have uh, rituals that help reverse that. They spend some time praying every day. Uh, naps are common. Uh, just taking a nap a day uh, reduces your chance of cardiovascular disease by 33%. The Costa Ricans and the Icarians, uh, they take time for happy hour, uh, ancestor veneration. Um, they have actually a vocabulary for purpose. Do you know the most, statistically speaking, the most dangerous year of your life? Birth. You're right, birth. But you know the second, <laughs> the second most, <laughs> that infant mortality. Um, you know, second most dangerous year of your life is actually the year you retire. Uh, there's about a three-fold spike in mortality. Three, you're three times more likely to die the year you retire as compared to your last uh, year of work. You also get more stupid, actually. That's no, mental, <laughs> mental acuity goes down. And you ask yourself, well, why is that? Do you, you know, start smoking crack or why? why what? Well, it turns out, you know, when you're young, you have your kids, you have your job to keep you engaged. Um, but then when that all goes away, and we live in a culture that doesn't particularly celebrate older people, uh, in blue zones, uh, there's actually vocabulary for purpose. Uh, Okinawans have a word, ikigai, which means roughly the reason for which I wake up in the morning. 
Uh, older people are expected to continue to give back and they're honored so they stay engaged. They have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, get out of the easy chair, uh, use those decades of accumulated wisdom and apply it for good. And it turns out there's a virtuous circle there. They, are not, they don't experience that spike in mortality uh, the last year of work. Uh, when it comes to what they eat, uh, this is good news for most, especially in uh, Aspen here. Um, they drink a little bit. And we know that people who drink uh, actually live longer than those people who don't drink at all. But the catch is you can only have two, maybe three a day. In one of our blue zones, it was three a day. And you cannot save up all week long and have 24 on the weekend. <laughs> Um, uh, interestingly, it's mostly wine, um, and it turns out that if you, uh, if you drink a good red wine uh, with a plant-based meal, a Mediterranean diet or Blue Zone diet, uh, it actually about triples the uh, uh, flavonoid absorption. So there's even an argument to be made that it's, it's healthier to drink a little glass of wine with your meal than, than, than even water. Um, I just finished another book, The Blue Zone Solution. It took me three years, and we worked with the University of Minnesota to do a, a meta-analysis of the diets of longevity. So uh, if you want to know what to eat to be 100, I argue you have to know what these centenarians were eating their whole lives. Uh, most uh, dietary studies, they're asking these centenarians, well, what did you eat you know, last week? And you can't expect people to remember. If I asked you, what you had for lunch a week ago Tuesday, you probably couldn't tell me. So how can you expect a centenarian to remember what they were eating when they were 10 and 25 and 30 and 40, et cetera? So our team found 155 dietary surveys done over the past century in all five of these blue zones. And to, roughly, we averaged them out. And we found that no matter where you go in the world and people are living a long time, between 90 and 100% of their diet is plant-based. Some uh, lowly processed or uh, not processed, um, uh, whole food plant-based. Uh, you see uh, uh, high amounts of whole grains, kind of flies right in the face of this, this paleo craze. Um, sweet potatoes. Uh, sweet potatoes were the um, main food source for Okinawans, for the first, Okinawan centenarians for the first 60 years of their lives. Uh, they called them emos, and then greens. We found out that people were eating about a quarter of a cup of greens uh, per day. So, so uh, grains, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, and greens. But the cornerstone of every longevity diet in the world. Anybody want to take a guess? Yogurt. Water, yogurt. <laughs> Close. It's coming up. It's beans. No, ma no matter where you go in the world, people live in a long time, they're eating about a cup of beans a day. It's pro it's, it probably yields them an extra four years of extra life expectancy. Ext every two extra ounces of beans you add to your diet, you lower your rate of your, your mortality rate by about 9%. And indeed, uh, in blue zones, uh, Okinawa, it's soybeans. In uh, Sardinia and Ikaria, it's chickpeas and lentils. In uh, Nicoya, it's black beans, uh, but their main protein so source uh, is beans. And we're not sure if there's something, you know, the fiber in beans or the, the nutrients in beans, or if because they're eating beans, they're therefore not eating the other less healthy proteins. Dan, I want to interrupt you for a second. Uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, 
there was an article maybe five or six years ago, since uh, time is uh, speeding up, in the New England Journal where they looked back at the nurses' health study, the physicians' health study, that, where they followed uh, healthcare professionals out for a number of years, um, and they looked at their diets, where they had collected a lot of dietary information on them over years, and they then uh, correlated, and it's a, only a correlation study, between what they ate and then adverse health outcomes, whether it was stroke or heart attacks or deaths or cancer. And if I remember that article correctly, and I do remember at least this part of the article correctly, the absolute single worst thing you could eat was any form of potato. Uh, potato chips, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, fr uh, um, french fries. The best thing you could eat, the two best things you could eat, number one was yogurt, and number two was nuts, and someone had mentioned nuts. Not on your list. Well, I'm not, not, not done with my list. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this looked pretty comprehensive. I'm already full. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, that was, you know, that study was done in United States, which isn't a particularly long-lived country as a whole. <laughs> so that's the little flaw in that premise. But also, all I, my only assertion here is this is what the world's longest-lived people, and there's lots of ways to come at the sort of dietary questions. We have lots of great experts at this conference who are looking at it at the, uh, the cellular level. I look at it from the population level and just kind of reverse engineer it. Um, they do eat meat, but not very much, uh, about five times per month. And four of those times, the portion of meat is no bigger than the size of this uh, uh, clicker. It's a condiment more than a, uh, a main food. Fish, a lot less than you'd think, uh, fewer than three times a week, but they do, do eat it. Uh, no cow's dairy in any blue zones. Um, really? No cow's. No cheese in Sardinia? Well, they, a lot of cheese, but it's uh, goat and, um, sheep. and sheep cheese. Pecorino is the big cheese there. And metabolically, they're, they're fairly different than, than uh, cow's dairy. So, um, and they do eat yogurt. Yogurt in both Sardinia and uh, uh, Icaria, Greece. Very good, but it's always made from goat's milk, uh, different than cow's milk. Um, indeed, nuts. Uh, people are eating a handful of nuts a day, are probably living two to three years longer than their non-nut-eating counterpart. And then um, what they drink uh, every day, up to six glasses of water. Um, tea, good news for most of us. Coffee is a huge net positive, big source of <laughs> yes. antioxidants, associated with lower rates of diabetes and Parkinson's. And then also good news for a lot of people, a little bit of wine. This isn't a diet, and I stop at calling this the Blue Zone Diets, but it is guidelines. And I would assert they're very, you, you'll see, um, uh, Harvard or American uh, Cancer Society, uh, their guidelines will be very similar to this. Um, but uh, the big difference here is people don't consciously eat these foods. It's what they have grew up with. Um, and they also love to celebrate, by the way. Uh, they don't restrict themselves. If there's a village festival or a wedding or a birthday, they'll slaughter a pig and uh, drink wine all night, eat goat's liver, and if there are sweets, they'll eat a lot of sweets. Good. We have a few yes. remaining elements yes. to the right. keys to the blue zones. So um, they don't think about what they eat. They have strategies to keep from overeating. Uh, Okinawans have a saying, hara hachibu, which reminds them to quit eating when their stomachs are 80% full. Uh, they tend to express gratitude uh, before each meal, so they'll actually pause and put some punctuation before their 
hurry worry of their life and before they eat makes it more likely that that full feeling will travel from their belly to their brain and tell them to stop eating. Uh, and they tend to eat a huge breakfast. Breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. <laughs> and finally, the foundation on which all of this rests, um, they invest in their families. Uh, they tend to put their families first. They keep their aging parents nearby, uh, invest in their kids, uh, and, and make their spouse a priority as opposed to making work or friends or some sports team. Uh, they tend to belong to a faith-based community. I, I interviewed about 350 centenarians. All but five uh, belong to some faith. It didn't seem to matter what faith they belong to. Um, but if you belong to uh, a faith and show up at least four times uh, a month, uh, it adds between four and 14 years to your life expectancy. And we don't know if that's because you're less likely to engage in risky behaviors or if because you have a better social network, or if because you have uh, ritualized stress reduction, or if because there's a God and God said. Uh, <laughs> but it seems to work. Uh, there's just a piece in the New York Times about two weeks ago kind of confirming this. And then finally, who you hang out with. Uh, in these blue zones, uh, people were either born into or intentionally surrounded themselves with the right people who reinforce the right behaviors. Um, we now know that if your three best friends are unhealthy and obese, there's about a 150% better chance that you'll be overweight yourself. Um, drinking too much, drugs, uh, unhappiness, and even loneliness is contagious. Uh, and in these blue zones, the people they surround themselves with tend to eat a plant-based diet. They tend to care about each other. They uh, keep an eye on each other. And um, uh, they, uh, it's one of these unconscious influences that exert an entire lifetime. So you add these all up, and it uh, explains about 12 extra years of life expectancy. The maximum average life expectancy of the human population living in the first world right now is about 90. Uh, anybody who tells you they can help you live to 100 probably has their hand in your pocket trying to sell you something. Um, but for an average population living in the United States, you can say, you know what, if you optimize your lifestyle, you should get about 90 years. But in America, we're only getting 79. And people who follow this pyramid here are getting closest to that 90 uh, years of, of anybody else in the world. It's Aspen Ideas to Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Today's show features National Geographic's Dan Buettner in conversation with author and bioethicist Ezekiel Emanuel. They're discussing what factors are shared in Blue Zones, the areas in the world where people live the longest. Do men live longer than women in Blue Zones? Is white wine as powerful as red in a healthy diet? And how effective are dietary supplements? Here's more of their conversation. So I, I just want to ask three quick questions before we uh, turn to the audience. First one is, um, in almost all countries I know, uh, women live longer than men. Uh, is that true in blue zones? It is in Okinawa, but not in Sardinia and Ikaria. So usually in America, for every one male centenarian, you have five uh, uh, female and the average lifespan of a woman is roughly four to five, in America, four to five years longer than a man. Yeah, about that. Um, 
but the, making it to 100, it's a lot better chance for, for a, a female. The dating pool is very good for male centenarians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but in, uh, in blue zones, in Icaria and Sardinia and Nicoya, actually, the ratio is, is the ratio's one to one. So um, there's, the blue zone advantage accrues mostly to men, I think, in these places. So um, I know that the title of this uh, session is about eating your way to longevity. Uh, and I also noticed that only three of your uh, nine uh, rules, as it were, or, or guidelines, as you call them, are about diet. Um, maybe you can uh, help understand how integral the other six are uh, separate from diet. Yes. So in the United States right now, we uh, spend a lot of money on health care, uh, uh, about $3 trillion, about 17% uh, of our GDP, and most of that is on trying to cure sickness. We do spend some money on prevention, but most of it is spent on um, diets, uh, exercise programs, and supplements, about $1.9 billion. And, and uh, they're pretty good ideas. It's a good idea to get people involved with eating the right food and moving. But the problem with all of these um, uh, strategies that we spend money on uh, is that they work in the short run. You can make a lot of money off of selling them, but they almost always fail in the long run. Um, you start a diet. If I got 100 people to start the Blue Zone diet today, I would lose about 10% of them in just three months. I lose 90% of them in seven months, and I lose almost all of them in two, two years, two or three years. So um, uh, great short-term, uh, unmitigated failure in the long run. Um, uh, exercise programs have a similar recidivism curve. People tend to start join gyms right after the holidays and run out of gas in a few months. And even if I come home from Blue Zones with the um, pill guaranteed to uh, reverse aging, and Americans wouldn't take it long enough to make a difference. What does seem to work in Blue Zones, the Blue Zone way to uh, stick with the right diet uh, has to do with creating a, a network, uh, a mutually supported network of factors that hold the diet in place. Uh, it begins with purpose, this um, vocabulary of purpose, uh, people knowing their passions, uh, knowing their values, uh, knowing their skills, and having a place uh, to activate those. In this country, it's volunteering. Uh, we know that volunteers have lower rates of right. cardiovascular disease, lower rates of cancer, and they weigh less. Um, they uh, can eat wisely. Uh, they eat mostly a plant-based diet. They have the right rituals around eating. Uh, they, they have made their healthy food taste good. Uh, I could tell you that broccoli is the secret of longevity, but if you don't <laughs> like broccoli, you're not going to eat it for long enough to make a difference. Uh, and it has to be easy. Their kitchens are set up so it's easy to make the right food for the long run. Uh, they, like I said, they surround themselves with the right people who eat plant-based, whose idea of recreation is uh, walking or gardening. They're engaged with the world and they care about each other. Uh, they uh, don't exercise, but as I mentioned before, their houses are uh, deconvenienced. Um, they have an active commute, and they tend to have dogs. Uh, in this country, if you own a dog, your chances of uh, obesity is about half that of your non-dog-owning counterparts. And then they live in the right community where, again, um, 
it's easier to get plants, fruits, and vegetables than it is to get chips, sodas, fries, and hamburgers. Um, they live in uh, uh, communities where it's easy to walk. Uh, it's, they're clean places, that's undeniable. And you're running into your friends all the time. Uh, in the United States here, if you, have, uh, um, if you have six hours of social interactivity, you are among the class of the happiest people in America. Um, we know that loneliness, if you don't have at least three good friends you can count on on a bad day, it shaves about eight years off of your life expectancy. So, uh, Dan, I want to, uh, one of the things that's noticeable here is you haven't said that they have an app that helps them. And uh, I know that we're in Aspen, and, and, and we are the most uh, technophilic people in the entire planet here in Aspen. We love technology, and we do think apps solve almost every problem that the world presents. Uh, but I noticed you haven't mentioned the word technology once, and if I'm correct, you actually mentioned that the Sardinians are sort of a bronze, basically Bronze Age people up there. Um, doesn't seem like this is a really, there's a, not a lot of technology here. So if anything, it seems a little anti-technology. Deconveniencing your home, get rid of that technology, walk, don't use a lot of technology to get around. What gives? Well, I can tell you none of these cultures where people live a long time, are they using technology? I, I, in fact, think it probably takes us away from living longer, better lives than it does to enhance it. Um, the, this is an anti-Aspen message here. I, I'd probably be thrown out after this. <laughs> All right. Um, I think uh, it would be good to begin with audience questions right over here. Hi, my name is Melinda. I live here in Aspen. I can see um, the blue zones that you've described more easily in the places outside of Loma Linda, which I'm familiar with because I grew up in California. Um, how would that community have, without forcing it, a lifestyle that doesn't include driving and a diet that comes naturally because it's just part of Southern California, which is not a natural no driving and eat that way place? Great, great question. This isn't a, uh, a fixed price menu. It's an a la carte menu. and, and these blue zones of, of those nine common denominators, they do those nine things to varying degrees of intensity. So you're right, Loma Melinda, they're going to be driving a lot more. Uh, but when it comes to adhering to a plant-based diet, they're going to do way better than, say, the people in San Bernardino or the people in Compton nearby. Um, they're, um, I mentioned that about uh, loneliness. Uh, loneliness is almost impossible in a... Adventist community because everybody's expected to show up to services on Saturday morning. Everybody's expected to show up to the potluck. Uh, they organize these afternoon hikes, which is kind of a default. So, um, And if I'm not mistaken, on Saturdays they don't drive, they walk. Yeah, they're a lot less likely to drive on a Saturday. Okay. In the back right there. Hi, I'm Jorge Plutsky. I'm a preventive cardiologist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, thank you for a great session. Uh, it seems like there's an incredible opportunity uh, to sort out some inputs, although some complexity involved, as people migrate from a blue zone to a red zone, um, uh -huh. whether they retain their practices or not, or to what extent was it genetic or other issues? Are there studies looking around there? Any insights on that as someone moves away from a blue zone? Yes, there's several. When Okinawan, uh, right. one study followed a cohort of Okinawans as they moved to Brazil and they left their plant-based diet behind and started adopting a beef-based diet and their life expectancy dropped about 15 years. 
Um, and also in every one of these blue zones, except maybe the Adventist, the life expectancy is dropping off. The phenomena is disappearing as the American food culture washes over the area and they start mechanizing. So, so what happened in Okinawa when the American base after World War II came in? Well, this forest of fast food restaurants popped up. And um, also, they, because of the USGIs, they developed a taste for spam. And they're, they're traditional. The best of American culture <laughs> yeah. and cuisine. So, you know, when you're eating, it, it's a fairly, you know, it's a subtle uh, diet. Like the uh, main dish in Okinawa is something called Goya Champuru, which is made with bitter melon and tofu and vegetables and nice herbs and spices. And you can sit down to what looks like a delicious compost pile of food. And it has a fifth the caloric density of a hamburger. But you have to sort of appreciate that. And then all of a sudden, in comes napalm, uh, uh, spam, which kind of napalms your taste buds. And they love it every bit as much as we love fat and salt and sugar. And, uh, and then the, uh, the fast food restaurants became really accessible. And the diet started shifting over those since 1945 or so. And along with it, the life expectancy has dropped. And the cohort of people who are under 60 actually have the highest rates of cardiovascular disease and cancer in all of Japan. So that's what America's been ex exporting there. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Elliot Levy. I'm a retired endocrinologist, but not retired. I changed careers when I retired. Um, two questions related. You started your talk, which was beautiful, by the way, with great slides, um, by making the comment that longevity is 20% genetic and 80% environmental. How do you come up with those numbers? And the second question is, is it too late to make a change at any age to a more healthy lifestyle? Excellent question. Well, which one was excellent? He asked two. <laughs> I like the last one. Okay, so. The first one's pretty well accepted, I think. So the 80-20 comes from the Danish twin study, which followed both fraternal twins and identical twins. The identical twins have the identical genes and they then measure the disparity of when they die and they've done it over 100 years. Um, and then the right. second question? Is it too late? Yes. He, he wants to know how he can save himself. Yeah. He wants to live to 100. No, it's never too late. Um, you can, uh, well essentially the longer you live, the healthier you've been, but right. uh, even if you're 99 years old and you're completely sedentary, and you get off the couch or you increase your social connectivity, you can add years to your life expectancy. I mean, the one thing you haven't added is education, which we know actually, certainly in the United States, heavily correlated with yes. living longer. So, you know, little education, a lot of exercise. A graduate degree will give stuff. you two years of extra life expectancy over a over an undergraduate Start degree. Start all your PhDs. You, this is why okay. Zeke will be around for a long time. <laughs>
My name is Jan from uh, Fort Lauderdale, and we live here too. My wife and I are both vegans, and lately soy has come under um, bad PR. Uh, we love edamame, we love tofu and everything, and now we're cutting back. Uh, what have you seen on the uh, longevity PR? Great question. Yeah, so Okinawans eat about eight times more tofu than other Jap Japanese. So, I mean, that's anecdotal, but it's, uh, it's a cornerstone. I think a lot of products that we think of as soy uh, here in America really aren't um, very soy-based, like soy milk, for example. If you look at the ingredients, they're full of sugar. Uh, there's this gum that binds it. It's not really pure soy milk. I think if you're eating real soy, especially if it's uh, uh, fermented, uh, like in a real tofu, uh, uh, it's a huge net plus. Yes, <clears throat> Chuck Seisler from the Brigham and Women's Hospital Sleep Health Institute. I was interested in your comment about uh, the naps and uh, could the you- what? Naps. Napping. <laughs> uh, and could you comment about sleep in general uh, and if you found anything? Chuck is one of the world's things. leading experts on sleep, so be careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on average, uh, people who make it to 100 sleep about eight hours a night, on average. And uh, certainly in these blue zones, they tend to um, go to bed soon after the sun sets, traditionally speaking, and these centenarians tend to continue to have the traditional uh, patterns. And uh, they'll often wake up in the middle of the night, or not quite in the middle, more towards the morning, and they'll wake up for a while, and then they'll go back to sleep. They'll have a second sleep, uh, and then they're usually up around sunrise, and then it's a nap. Um, in Ikaria, in, interestingly, this place with the really low rates of uh, dementia, uh, most of the year they're, they're staying up to one or two in the morning because that, those are the cool hours of the day. And then they'll sleep really late. They'll open their shops at 10 or 11. Uh, they'll go back and take a nap at four and then they'll be up really late. So there's some idiosyncrasy, but eight hours is sort of an average and a 20 to 30 minute nap in the middle of the afternoon, I would say generally speaking. Hello, my name is Paul. I'm an Aspen resident. Is, is there any correlation to health care and longevity in these five areas? Well, the ante is good public health. I mean, none of these, except the uh, Loma Linda, California, which has a uh, state-of-the-art hospital, none of these places are places you're going to want to go for a state-of-the-art organ transplant. Uh, but they do tend to have better public health, especially uh, Costa Rica. I mentioned that. Uh, Nicoya has about half the rate of middle-aged mortality as we do in the United States. Uh, everybody in that country has a, access to a health coach. Every single year, somebody's going to come knock on your door. They're going to ask, is anybody pregnant here? They, they're going to look around to see if there are people who might be at risk of diabetes or um, uh, suffering, starting to suffer from obesity or, or maybe suffering from dementia. Uh, right away, do a, a spot check or a spot test. Uh, and be able to get people in for help before it's a 911 emergency like in this country where you, you have to uh, give them expensive treatment. Um, so there are they, good studies they, in the United States that even in our country, health care services coming to the doctor is good for 10 or maximum, maximum, maximum 20% of, uh, of improvement in life expectancy and things like that. It really isn't about health care services. You know, genetics uh, is a small amount, but it's, lifestyle is the dominant thing still. Um, so, uh, yeah. Jeff Jay from Greenwich, Connecticut. You mentioned red wine uh, triples the absorption of flavonoids. Others have talked about red wine having reversitol, 
uh, as an agent that also is something is correlated with longevity. Do you, do you think there's a, a benefit to that compound in the red wine? I, d I don't think resveratrol is that important. You, I mean, to get this sort of effective dose, you, you'd have to drink several bottles of wine a day, and there'd be other problems with that. Um, but it, it's probably the alcohol, and it's probably the ceremony that surrounds the alcohol, which tends to be really social. It tends to be with a meal. It, uh, it tends to be administered in smaller doses throughout the day. Um, in Sardinia, for example, you'll see people at, at 10 a.m. having a first little tiny, maybe just two or three ounces of, of wine, and another two or three ounces with lunch, and two or three ounces with, with friends. Interestingly, in um, uh, Sardinia, they produce, uh, in a few vineyards, the wines with the highest levels of polyphenols in the world. It's called Cananao. It's made from a Grenache grape. You can get it in this country. And... Uh, I just always kind of had fun with the correlation between the longest lived men and the best wine. By the way, uh, you might want to ask GSK, the drug company, which bought the rights for $750 million to Resveratrol and has, uh, you know, wiped them off their books because nothing it, it has come It doesn't work. I think in the back there. My name is Peter. Um, I'm curious if you did any studies on the water quality of the blue zones versus other geographies. I can only respond anecdotally. And you, you ask these people, uh, if you ask these old guys, to these 100-year-olds that sit around the square, how they explain longevity, they almost always say clean air, clean water, and good food. Um, so I often find there's an element of truth in these sort of time-honored adages you hear over and over again. But our study did not check water quality. The only place we looked into water was in the Nicoya Peninsula of uh, Costa Rica. And so you have Costa Rica, it you know, does pretty well when it comes to longevity, but Nicoya is a big outlier. They live significantly longer. So we're looking, well, what's different about Nicoya that isn't like the rest of the main part of Costa Rica? And it turns out that most of Costa Rica is volcanic, but Nicoya is like the Caribbean. It's a limestone. And the water that percolates through, that the people drink mm. there, has very high levels of calcium and magnesium and they get lots of sunshine. So it's just drinking this water throughout their life, it probably amounts to um, you know, taking this supplement. We know if you take, I'll ask you Zeke, sunshine and, and, and calcium, what does that equal over a lifetime? Better bones, it's that actually, legal. it's vitamin D, right? Well, which comes from yeah. good sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know this for sure, but it's, it's, uh, it was an interesting connection. Magnesium is also good for the heart. Hi, I'm Kate Lear. What role does genetics play? Because you had mentioned gen genetics, and I, I'm wondering if these are communities that are close together. Is that, does that play a role? Okay, so all of the populations except Sardinian are heterogeneous populations. In other words, they're melting pots. They're, uh, Okinawa, for example, been intermarrying with the rest of Southeast Asia for the last 400 years. And um, Adventists are black and Hispanic and Asian. and um, Sardinia is the only one that has a perhaps a unique set of genes. Um, when it comes to when thinking about genes, most of us lie on a spectrum. There'll be a tiny percentage of us who could do everything right, eat bean sprouts and tofu and, and run every day and have great social life and drop dead at 40 because of some bizarre cancer. And then there are people at the other 
end of the spectrum who can drink a fifth of whiskey and smoke and they live to 100 and they give you know, longevity a bad name. Uh, but most of us are one or two standard deviations from the mean, meaning that you know, we have the potential to make it to uh, you know, 80 or 90 by optimizing our lifestyle and environment. And that's what I try to, I, I, what I try to do is articulate the ideal lifestyle environment uh, for us to emulate. Given an average set of genes. Until CRISPR, we're not going to do a lot about genes anyway. So, you know, it's like what you can control is, is these other factors that uh, Dan has pointed out. Over here. Hello, Surya from Bank of America. Uh, the move naturally comment. So, does that mean gym is not good or going to the gym is just a drop off and walking is more sustainable? Gym is good for some people, but I think it's folly to think that we can sit in our office chairs for eight hours a day and then go to the gym for a half hour and get enough physical activity. We evolutionarily evolved to be moving all the time. That's the, um, and like I said, in blue zones, they're moving every 20 minutes or so. Um, I'm, I'm gonna take a slight deviation here and answer your question in a longer way. So uh, about nine years ago, we started thinking about, could you make a blue zone in America? Could you actually make an American population live longer? And uh, I got a huge grant from AARP and help from National Geographic. And uh, we auditioned five cities to see if we could actually take an American population and help them live longer. We gave them all uh, a test. We used Gallup's tool that measured uh, life expectancy. And then we went about trying to change the environment so people would mindlessly, invisibly, live longer. So instead of trying to change people's behavior, which is almost always a, fa a failure, uh, change their environment. So I hired a, a bunch of smart people, Stanford and Harvard, University of Minnesota, and they pointed out that most of us live most of our lives within about five miles of our home. We call that a life radius. And we went about optimizing that. No technology, Zeke, here. Um, and we got some data from the CDC who told us that if you want to optimize people's uh, uh, environment to live longer, the most cost-effective tool is changing policy. So it essentially boils down to this. Do you live in an environment where fruits and vegetables are cheapest and most accessible, or do you live in a place where every time you go anyway, anywhere, you're going through a gauntlet of sugar-sweetened uh, uh, Soda. beverages, sodas, or junk food, or, or fast food restaurants. Um, if you live in a neighborhood of five mile radius, or five, uh, half a mile radius where there are more than six fast food restaurants, you're 30% more likely to be uh, obese than if you live in a place where there are fewer than three. Um, built environment, if you live in a place where parks are cleaned up, where uh, uh, streets are designed not just for cars, but also for humans. You have bike lanes. You make it walkable. You can raise the physical activity level of the entire city by 30%. You don't have to give people gym memberships or get them to take yoga or give them a free t-shirt for joining the, the yoga class. We know that in any community, about 30% of, uh, I'm sorry, about 60% of people are ready to change their health behaviors, but don't have the tools. And by just putting them together and creating social networks, helping them find those three good friends that they can count on on a bad day. That's a long-term intervention. Uh, the uh, fourth part about it, it turns out that um, there's enormous possibility in changing the policies and the designs of buildings. Um, 
restaurants, grocery stores, schools, workplaces. You can design those so they're about 20 to 30% healthier um, by changing the defaults. And again, you put them in place once and you can just forget about them. And then um, helping people um, find their sense of purpose and a place to put that to work. And in our first city, uh, Albert Lee, Minnesota, uh, by taking this approach, we, we were actually able to uh, raise life expectancy after two years uh, by about 3.2 years lower health care costs and that model has now been scaled to 26 countries around I'm sorry 26 cities around the country uh, and it seems to be working very well. Sylvia Blau part-time Aspen you mentioned red wine it, how about white wine <laughs> or, or is it the uh, and is it Riesling or Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> or is it the um, socialness around the drinking or does it matter if it's white or red? It, it, there may be some tiny advantage to drinking red wine over white wine, but it's probably, quite honestly, the alcohol in the, in, in the, in the wine. So. And you also mentioned the social activity that, yes. that breeds. The ceremony that tends to go wrong. I read recently yourself. in the Los Angeles Times that there was a sixth blue zone, and it was Manhattan Beach. And oh. is there a country that's number one? Well, oddly enough, Manhattan Beach is one of our Blue Zone projects, the, one of the 26 cities. So they're a Blue Zone certified city, but they're not exactly a Blue Zone. But they took this, they adopted this over the past five years, and uh, they've seen a 50% a, um, drop in childhood obesity in the last five years, and they've, the average BMI of that city has dropped by about 17%, which equates to... Uh, it also lot. doesn't hurt that they're on the Pacific Ocean, and well, it's they, quite beautiful. Believe it or not, well, they're in the Pacific, but you go back about two blocks and their obesity rates and their general health is, is no better than the average California. If you live yeah, on the beach and you're a millionaire and you play volleyball, yeah, those guys live longer. There's a question here. Yes, uh, Dick Corbett from Tampa, Florida. I uh, wanted to ask you about the supplements uh, and the vitamins that, that you know, the whole, the whole country is so hooked on this. None of these areas, I assume, uh, have any of this. Correct. No, in no blue zones are people taking supplements. Um, but I think they're getting them from their food and their water that we might not be getting uh, them. Okay. Now, along with that, <laughs> are there any supplements that certain doctors would say you ought to take? I'll, I'll let Zeke answer that one because he's a doctor. Well, one of the... Uh, uh, I would say, in general, a lot of people think that they're very expensive and they end up uh, coming out in your pee, mostly. Uh, the one I would suggest, uh, uh, especially if you're not uh, heavy into fish, either flaxseed oil or fish oils are probably uh, worth the money. And uh, since you look like you're pretty well healed, you're here in Aspen, taking something that isn't on a negative side, and there are some which are on the negative side. I mean, vitamin E, definitely don't do. Uh, we have good data on, that that's not uh, good. Multivitamin, probably not that uh, valuable uh, at all. Um, but, you know, so you take it, no downside, maybe it will help. Uh, a lot of these have not really been rigorously studied, which is a main problem with the supplement industry in general. And many of you may know that the, uh, thanks to certain senators from certain states, uh, it's not FDA regulated, uh, the nutritional supplements. So it, there, there can be some serious problems, and we've had serious public health problems with some of them. I so I, I would say, by the way, the Blue Zone lesson would suggest instead of taking the fish oil and the flaxseed oil, just eat the fish. Uh, just eat the fish and put flaxseeds in your smoothie. <laughs>
So Bob Thoburn, Gainesville, Florida. Uh, you haven't mentioned the microbiome. Uh, obesity is a huge problem. Uh, there's evidence that some uh, microbes can are very effective uh, calorie releasers. So two groups taking the same f amount of food, same type food. Uh, those with a certain uh, microbiome can get increased obesity just from the increased efficiency of calorie release. Yes. So I'd say there's something to that. So most of these blue zones, there are, there are fermented foods. We talked about the right. yogurt in Okinawa, it's pickles. But I think more important than, than, than getting the access to the, to the, to the bacteria, uh, Sardinia, it's uh, uh, lactobacillus in the sourdough bread, but it's the mulch. Uh, like eating beans might be good for you because of the fiber, but that fiber creates, let's just say for using a metaphor, very good soil for that, for those uh, bacteria to flourish. Whereas if you're eating a lot of meat and cheese and drinking sodas, uh, the, the, you could take these, these uh, uh, probiotics all day long and they're not going to take. So um, I, I'd say in blue zones, they have the right mix of soil and seed. Can I ask you, uh, I'm just going to conclude with uh, this question. Um, what about changing your habits and trying to change your habits and how might that play into sort of adopting more of a blue zone lifestyle? I don't think changing habits work. I, I can't find anything in the, in the academic literature um, that suggests you can change a habit for long enough to make a difference. There, when it comes to longevity, there's no short-term fix. And we, we, you know, we're a culture that looks for short-term fix. What I argue and what I do in these cities and when I argue for individuals is you have to shape your environment so you're more likely to do the healthy thing than the unhealthy thing or that the unhealthy thing becomes um, uh, really hard to do. Uh, I, I'd say one of the biggest things you can do is move to a healthy community, a community where it's easy to walk places and uh, it's easy to get fresh fruits and vegetables and you're around engaged people. It's very hard to live a long time if you live in a soulless American suburb in Cleveland. I don't mean to pick on Cleveland, but, but and that's the problem with the way we're designing our cities. We, we need to redesign our world to mimic these places that have achieved the outcomes we want if we also want to live a long time and uh, attack this uh, three trillion dollar year problem we have with healthcare. Well, it is interesting that, you know, despite the fact that this was labeled food and we have talked a lot about eating the right food, uh, it does sound like one of the more important lessons of the Blue Zones is the social connectedness, uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, ceremonies that bring people together, uh, that sort of get people uh, moving together, as it were, uh, and create this sort of ceremony around eating, around social life, around activity. It's, it's, it, I think of it as like collagen. Um, it's having the right diet is, it, we all know what the right thing to eat is, but it's so hard to do it in isolation. But when you surround yourself with the right people, when you have this base of purpose or religion, when you have um, uh, a, when you live in a place where it's easy to eat the right foods, when your kitchen is set up the right way, uh, then you don't have to think about it. It's a lot easier to follow the right food patterns that are going to get you 200. Well, I want to thank uh, Dan. Thank you. Dan Butner is a fellow with National Geographic. He and other scientists discovered the Blue Zones, communities where people live longer than anywhere else. He wrote about his experiences in The Blue Zones, Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who Lived the Longest. 
Oncologist and bioethicist Ezekiel Emanuel interviewed Butner. Emanuel also wrote the book Reinventing American Healthcare. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Follow the Aspen Ideas Festival year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. Today's show was produced by Marcy Krivenen and me and recorded by our team at the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson, Editorial Director of our public programs. Thanks for joining me.